0: Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 005.
1: Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Welcome back
0: to the Veterinary Project Podcast. You are joined by yours truly, Dr. Jonathan Light and Dr. Michael Bug. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic,
2: Johnny. Yeah, been out enjoying the, the nice weather here this summer, so how about you?
0: Yeah, same thing. We're enjoying the nice weather in Western Canada and overall, I'm excited about today's podcast and our host, uh, excuse me, our guest. And overall, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy and you can hear by the energy in my voice um, by where this has gone over the last month and a half. We've had some fantastic guests on the show that are teaching us and we're learning from and there's been great interactions on social media uh, and this is going places already Areas that we didn't think or know that it would be going into. So I, I'm very energized and excited about the future and um, the people that are on board with us so far. It has been uh, shocking, to
2: be honest, about the amount of outreach and then the connections that are coming from that this early into this process. So it's it's been a very pleasant surprise.
0: Agreed. And we're still learning. We are still at the start, that's for sure. But... Today, we have more interesting things to talk about than the two of us, so we're going to get right into today's quick tip. Right. Uh, So my quick tip
2: for everyone today uh, was something that I recently learned from some buddies that were at a conference, and the keynote speaker talked about how the skills you develop that have gotten you to this point are not the skills that you're going to need to get to your next sort of level up in your career or in your business. And then the really impactful part that they said was that you may in fact have to let go of those previous skills completely. And and, you know, that kind of hit me pretty hard as I think about uh, growing our business. And I think about this in the veterinary business, you know, you're growing your skills as an actual clinical veterinarian. And then if you want to take that into practice ownership, You actually may have to let go of those skills and fully step into that that new role to to level up to the next level. So that would
0: be my quick tip is letting go of those old skills to, to move to the next level. Excellent. Thanks for the share, Mike. And it's something that's already come into handy within the last week for myself and our own conversations together. So very, very relevant and applicable. So with that, I'm going to introduce our guest for today. Her name is Dr. Helen Newton, and Helen is joining us from Edmonton, Alberta. She obtained a Bachelor of Science in Biology prior to pursuing her DVM at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon, Canada. She then spent four years in general small animal practice just outside of Houston, Texas, where she was bitten by a travel bug. That meant she spent the next three years doing locum work in Australia and Finland, And all of her clinical experiences led her to discovering a passion for nutrition. And in 2015, she joined Nestle Purina Pet Care Canada. Her favorite part of her role with Purina is helping practices navigate complex medical histories to find an appropriate diet choice. She also loves presenting information to students and veterinary staff members in a relatable and relevant form to help them convey nutritional information to their clients and ultimately benefit the health of their pet patients. As I said, she now lives in Edmonton, Alberta with her two cats, her husband, and their three year old son. And they have a new baby on the way. In this episode, we are going to be navigating working in a multi vet practice just out of school in a different country, taking her veterinary knowledge and moving that into a completely different continent and how she made that happen, then how she moved into the nutritional industry. And some of her tips and tricks for those that might be looking at that as a possible career choice either now or in future so without further ado welcome dr helen newton helen we are grateful to have you on our podcast today it means a lot to us especially with your ocean background so for all of our listeners that don't have the opportunity to go onto youtube Please go have a look. It is fantastic.
3: <laughs> Thanks so much for having me today. I'm really excited. Um, and just for anyone who's curious, that picture was taken on the west coast of Australia. It's a, the west coast is a real hidden gem. I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit today, but yeah, if you haven't checked out Western Australia, please do.
0: Excellent. I love that. And we're going to go down that road for sure. I thought where we would start is a little bit about your work in a multi-vet practice right out of school and what that looked like for you and understanding a little bit more um, some of the concerns you had going out and then some of the adventures and the fun that you had going out into practice in what sounds to be quite a large practice that you started it.
3: You bet. Absolutely. So um, I'm a 2008 grad from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon. Yeah, with within Mike's class. And, um, and yeah, right out of vet school, I actually moved down to a suburb just outside of Houston, Texas. So um, you can imagine coming from Canada, spending the last four years in Saskatoon, Houston was was quite a climate change for, for one thing. And then also, you know, a lot of what I saw from a veterinary, veterinary medicine perspective was quite different down there um, compared to what, what we saw in Canada and, and what we were taught. You know, I have... Memories of second year microbiome parasitology where the instructors would brush over topics and say Oh, you'll only ever have to know about these if you practice in the southern US and at the time like I never imagined I'd be going to the southern US um, And lo and behold I ended up right there smack dab in the middle of it and um, on my very first first day I treated two heartworm patients and had two um, Parvo cases my first two two patients through the door. So um, like that just like that. So it was, uh, it was not exactly what I was prepared for, but I, um, thankfully was, was in quite a large practice surrounded by a big team and they helped me get prepared really quickly.
0: (laughs) How many DVMs in this particular practice?
3: Yeah. So there were, um, five other DVMs in addition to me and we rotated, rotated between two practices. So one of the practices had sort of anywhere from three to to five veterinarians working at one time. And then the other practice was just one or two vets at a time.
0: In our pre-talk, you discussed a lot about um, having that multi-vet mentorship right off the start. Tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's really interesting. Not only jumping to a new country, but then choosing the practice and being conscious of it. I yeah. think that that uh, that resounded, resonated with me.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like many new grads, you know, I came out of school, I had my notes, I had my textbooks, I had the ways that my instructors had taught me to do things. And, you know, in some ways, I felt like the way that I was taught is the right way to do it. And if anybody else is doing it a different way, then clearly that's bad medicine and that's the wrong way to do it. You know, I. I don't think I came across quite quite that arrogant, but that's what was going on in my head. Um, and of course, in a multi-vet practice, I quickly realized that every vet does things a little bit differently. And just because they're doing it differently than the way that I was taught definitely doesn't make it wrong. And of course, with your individual patients, what works for one patient may not work with another patient. So you need to learn to adapt and um, kind of mix up your own methods once in a while and being in a multi-vet practice surrounded by other experienced veterinarians and some other new grads as well um, was a really great learning opportunity for me.
0: Did that come into your interview portion or, or what did that formal interview look like coming into that practice? Did you know that that's, um, is that, was that a conscious choice for you that you would be going into a multi-vet center for that mentorship and for that acknowledgement that there's different ways of practicing? You're fresh out of school. So I'm impressed by that right off the start. It usually takes people a job or two.
3: Yeah. And honestly, when I was in the interview process with that clinic, I, I don't really think that crossed my mind. I do vividly remember asking about mentorship in general, and sort of, you know, was I going to be was there going to be someone there that I could talk to? Or was I going to be thrown to the wolves? And this, this particular clinic, you know, um, was very clear about the fact that there was multiple vets available, even if it happened to be a day where I was alone in the clinic, there was always going to be a someone available by phone. Um, so no, it wasn't actually until I got down there that I really appreciated the value of having multiple different opinions and multiple different um, ways of doing things.
0: Excellent. And in that same adage around you started there because it was a mixed animal practice, correct? Yes. (laughs) And if I'm correct, there's no mixed animal work in your world now.
3: There's not i'm 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 slightly ashamed to say I don't think I've touched a horse or a cow other than just petting them on the nose, um, probably since fourth year vet school um, yeah i I came across the clinic actually initially oh. by just googling mixed animal practice Houston, and I cold called them um and it you know explained who I was and i'm sure you know the receptionist that answered the phone was like who's this chick from canada with a weird accent <laughs> but they put me through to their lovely office manager whose whose name was ellen and um it just so happened that they had posted a job ad for a new grad that very same day i just obviously hadn't seen it so um Yeah. So, so that's how I kind of stumbled across them was with that mixed animal practice in mind. Um, You know, once I got there and got into the thick of things, um, they weren't high volume on the large animal side of things. And I just felt for me, for my knowledge base, it was best to focus more on the small animal side of things and really kind of get a strong footing under me. So I'm a tiny bit regretful that I didn't take the time to learn more about the large animal side of things, but um, it's okay. Everything happens for a reason, and, and now here I am.
0: <laughs> Correct, and we're going to get into that further down into this conversation as well. From the standpoint of moving more small animal, was that a di- direction that your bosses moved to you based on what was needed in the practice, or was that something that you decided, hey, I'm stronger in this area or I'm feeling more comfortable in this area, so I'm going to keep to my comfort zone?
3: Yeah, I think that was honestly more my decision. Okay. Um, because my bosses, you know, they'd owned that practice for many years, they had good relationship with all the cattle farmers and the horse owners. Um, they were generally the veterinarians that saw those patients. And I have no doubt that if I would have gone to them and said, please, like teach me everything you know about horses and cows, they would have absolutely, you know, taken me out in the truck every day and, and showed me those ways. But it was I think it was more a confidence thing for me at that time. I decided I wanted to focus on small animal and get strong in that area.
0: Excellent. In moving direction a little bit, you also spoke about in the pre-call, you know, um, different relationships. And again, along those same lines of, of different ways of practicing medicine, coming into a new center, you're in a new country, new people. Tell us a little bit about how you, acclimatized and I need to jump back to a further comment because you said you didn't want to appear arrogant and just for all of our listeners Helen is about the least arrogant person I have ever met in my life I don't know (laughs) if that there is a bone in her body that screams arrogance ever which is amazing (laughs) (laughs) which I have never seen come out once in Um, in plus years of knowing each other
3: I appreciate that that's really kind of you um, so sort of, just to clarify, so um, with respect to sort of the relationships mm-hmm. that that I formed, like like the different kinds of relationships. Yes. yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So m- working in a multi vet practice, not only do you see that there's many different ways to do things on the veterinary medicine side of things, but there's different way to ha- different ways to handle things on the communication side of things yes. as well. And um, I worked with with two vet my two bosses down there actually. Okay amazing gentlemen. You know, I, I, I'm going to send this podcast to them. I hope they listen. (laughs) Um, but they both had very different ways of teaching. And I I learned quite quickly, if I was pretty sure I knew what I wanted to do, and I just wanted that validation that I wasn't gonna, you know, maim or kill anything, Mm -hmm. I went to one specific boss and he would, he would sit and he would listen and he would give me the nod as long as the plan sounded okay. Um, but if it was a patient where I had no clue what was going on and didn't know whether to turn left, right up or down um I went to my other boss because I'd tell him the signalman I'd give him the history and then he would tell me you know what he would do and so both ways of teaching were very valuable to me you know I never felt stranded or out in the dark and I felt supported (laughs) just depending on what I needed with each specific patient
0: so many things I could say there but the mom and dad (laughs) in the practice but no they're just different (laughs) you see now they have to listen to this podcast for sure (laughs) excellent so you were down there for four years the experience must have been amazing from stepping out of your comfort zone being in a new country but then on top of that you decided at four years into practice to do something completely different tell us a little bit about that
3: I did, yeah. Um, so, you know, I was at a time in my life where I was um, approaching 30, um, you know, single. I wasn't tied down by anything at that point. Rented my apartment, didn't have a mortgage, had some student loans, but, but, but wasn't tied down by anything. And I really wanted to um, kind of get out and see the world a little bit. (laughs) So um, my initial plan was actually maybe I could take a month off and I could go to Italy and I could eat pasta and pizza and swim in the Mediterranean and enjoy some culture and some architecture and then, and then come back to work. And um, it was actually with some prompting. So, so I asked my bosses if I could have a month off and they said, yep, Helen, no problem. And then it was with some prompting from my parents actually (laughs) that they said, you know, You've often mentioned wanting to go to Australia, why don't you look into that now? So I I started to look into that a little bit more closely. Um, There was, I don't know if it's still this way, but at that time there was a time limit on the work the ease of getting a working holiday visa. I think you had to be like 31 or something like that by the time you go. So there was a bit of a clock ticking there. Um, And so I, I thought about it, realized that having studied in North America and written the NAVLI exam, it would be very easy for me to get a veterinary license in Australia. And um, so <laughs> went back to my bosses and said, hey, remember how I asked for that month off? Um, I'm actually thinking it might look more like six months to a year and I'm going to go to Australia. <laughs> so um, thankfully, they, they were really supportive. I mean, I, I know they were sad to see me go, but at the same time, they knew that it was something that was important to me to kind of spread my wings and um, push those boundaries a little bit. And so after a few months of, of packing and prepping and tying up some loose ends, um, yeah, I hit the road for Australia.
0: And you went there, which is pretty impressive. Now, just before we get to Australia, you did something that in school, um, for us out of Saskatoon, there was a company that always uh, sponsored or, or advertised to options overseas. You're the first person I've ever known that's actually taken advantage of that. And this is not a sponsorship for that company, because I actually don't even know if they exist anymore. But. Yeah. You took hold of that and you use that company as a a platform to get there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and, and what you did?
3: For sure. Yeah. Cause, cause they are an integral part of this. And, mm-hmm. um, the company was called VetLink, and I'm pretty sure they're still around because okay. I see some of their people on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, so, so they basically their, their whole role with respect to me was to set up locum or relief positions around Australia. Okay. And so prior to going to Australia, once I had my visa approval, which I will say was probably the easiest visa approval I've ever, <laughs> ever done. In I've lived in several different countries,
1: Um,
3: they, you know, I had to, of course, send them all my documents verifying, yes, I'm a veterinarian, here's my transcripts, here's my records of employment, Um, you know, here's my letter of good standing from the Texas State Board. Um, We had a phone interview just so they could learn a little bit more about me and, and kind of verify I was a real person and not just a name on a page. And then once all that was set up, they started sending me emails with these job postings for all over Australia, postings for anywhere from like one or two days here and there up to sort of year-long commitments, um, some rural, some urban, some mixed, some small. Um, So yeah, and it was up to me to basically pick and choose which ones sounded interesting and which ones I might like to go with.
0: And then you made the jump, you got approved, and you went over there. I went there. And in our pre-talk, you had said you had set yourself up for your first four months. Is that correct? Or your, excuse me, your first four postings.
3: Sorry. No, it was about my first, it was my first two postings, postings. um, which occupied, yeah, about my first three to four months.
0: Okay. Um,
3: And of course, so, so the way it would work is I would take a a locum or relief position. Um, I'm saying relief for all the U.S. uh, veterinarians who are listening, (laughs) Um, so I would, I would take a position, you know, work my butt off for the length of that position and, and the positions I had ranged anywhere from three weeks up to three months. Um, and then I take, take time off usually about a month and I would go into what my, my friends and family, uh, fondly refer to as power tourist mode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I would see as much as I could see in the massive, beautiful country that it is with the time that I had.
0: And you and Mike have a connection there as Mike spent a long time in Australia as well. Yeah,
3: and I don't there. think I realized that until I listened to your podcast.
0: Yeah, I I uh,
2: kind of did the same thing with my employer. Um, I was like, hey, I'm thinking of going traveling. And then the duration I was going to go for just kept increasing and increasing. <laughs> and it eventually turned into, I don't know when I'm coming back. <laughs> I, I'm out of here. Um, yeah. I'm so curious because... I started down the path of setting up the steps to work in Australia Mm -hmm. as a tourist, right? Like I had no plans of moving there, but I never did actually practice. What was, what was like the learning curve jumping from North America practicing in Australia?
3: yeah so i mean they definitely see some things there that we don't commonly see in canada um and of course australia is such a massive country depending on what part of the country you're in those diseases can be quite different um mm-hmm. i remember going into my first practice and opening the fridge and seeing like five different vials of snake antivenom, and thinking oh my god what have i gotten myself into <laughs> um, because that's a reality. That's what, what they deal with there. You know, um, Sydney has a fair amount of tick paralysis. So I learned quickly how to handle those. But, you know, if there's one thing I learned, um, going into these clinics as the outsider, it's that, you know, the majority of people in these clinics, they are happy to assist you. They're not expecting you to come in already knowing what their protocols are and how they do things. Because of course, every clinic does things a little bit different, but if you can go in with an open mind, willing to listen, willing to learn and, and work together, um, you know, you're not going to have any problems with, with adapting to the way they do things and and still managing to practice, you know, good quality medicine at the same time.
0: Excellent. Yeah. And what would you think as your biggest takeaway of that veterinary experience being overseas on your own at that point and learning?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) this is kind of random. So bear with me on this, but when I was in Australia, I heard a quote, um, that had nothing to do with veterinary medicine at the time. It came from someone I met while traveling and when you first hear this quote, I can guarantee you, you're either gonna sort of like cock your head to the side and say what, or you're gonna think of immediately ten reasons why the quote is ridiculous and want to have a fight about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> there we are in here, um, so the quote specifically is, "Where there is doubt, there is no doubt." And so, so stew on that for a second. But I've at the time, truthfully, it, it applied for me um, going through some relationship stuff. <laughs> okay. But I've since then um, applied it to many areas of my life, including veterinary medicine. And it's basically a reminder that if you're having doubts about something, if you've got that gut feeling that something is not right about this, whether it's a job that you're in, whether it's a relationship you're in, you know, whether it's a new car you're thinking about <laughs> buying... Um, take a moment to pause and figure out where those doubts are coming from and what you need to do to quell them or fix them, you know, and it might mean a dramatic change. It might mean looking for a new job. It might mean looking for a new partner. Um, it might just mean making some small changes in your own lifestyle or perhaps, you know, discussing with your employer or your spouse <laughs> um, some things that, that you can work on together to, to take away those doubts and make you um, feel better about that situation. So that was <laughs> my, it. Wait, it didn't yeah. come originally from veterinary medicine, but I've definitely used it in, uh, you know, multiple veterinary situations since then.
0: Thanks for sharing all of yeah, these quotes I like we're it. learning. And I really like that. And that's not a quote I've heard before. Mike, have you heard no. that one? No,
2: I've never heard that. I like it. <laughs>
0: I'm going to have to stew on it a little bit.
3: Yeah, yeah, stew on it. The only caution I would say is use if you're thinking about starting a family, maybe don't use that quote because I have yet to meet any parent who was like, oh, yeah, I was 100% ready to be a parent. I knew I had everything under control. I think all of us have had doubts in that department. So maybe use caution there. But with respect to jobs and relationships, yeah, have at her. (laughs)
0: love it now there is another quote you also shared which i have to put into this podcast okay which i think is very relevant and it was something along the lines of an older gentleman while you were traveling
3: oh yes
0: and i'm i have to put you on the spot because i think it's relevant both to personal and professional and if you may share that would be great
3: Absolutely. So my flight to Australia, um, went via Singapore. And there was this elderly gentleman um, sitting beside me, you know, the whole way to Singapore. And before he got off the plane, because you know, he and I chatted, I mean, it's a long flight, you can't not talk to the person beside you, at least for a little while. Um, Before he got off the plane, he turned to me and he said, I have one piece of advice for you. If you start to get homesick, just open your mouth. And it kind of caught me off guard. And I was sort of like, what what is he saying? What is he talking about? Uh, but then he expanded and he said, "Open your mouth and start talking to people. Once you start talking to people and sharing stories and hearing from them, your homesickness will go away, um, and and you know you'll be fine." And it was that quote that uh, you know several months later in Australia, I was feeling a bit homesick, took that advice, um, and ultimately ended up meeting my husband, my now husband, because of it. <laughs>
0: So amazing. And you guys yeah. started off in friends and then reconnected later on in the trip and history
3: yeah, exactly. Was made. exactly. Yeah. When I first met him, I was very much set on Australia is my time. I'm going where I want to go. I'm working the jobs I want to work on. I'm not going to be tied down by no man, <laughs> but, um, but we did, you know, we kept in touch through the, through, um, you know, the next several months of, of my journey there and ultimately did cross paths again and decide, okay, maybe this thing is worth looking into.
0: (laughs) Excellent. And the rest is history.
3: Yeah.
2: That one's, that's another great quote. Exactly. We're two for two for today. It's so, (laughs) it's so awesome. When I think of that, it's in your story, all the good things that are coming from you, just putting yourself out there, right? Like calling a clinic in Houston, chatting up someone in Australia and good things come of it. When you put yourself out like that. I love it.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? That's it. Yeah.
0: Right there. So then moving forward, Helen, you now find yourself in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I do. You have a three and a half year old son. I do. What do you do in your professional life today?
3: So today, uh, my official title I'm a veterinary communication manager with Purina. So I mainly focus on the Purina Pro Plan veterinary diets, but um, you know, I, I sort I have familiarity, and I have to sort of be able to answer questions about all of the Purina products. Yes. And um, yeah, veterinary communication manager. Some companies call them technical services mm-hmm. veterinarians. I'm basically one of the people when you're in practice and you have a patient and you have no idea how to nutritionally manage them, um, you can reach out to me or, or one of my coworkers and we can help you navigate that. Um, and if it's something, because I'm not a board certified nutritionist, I just yes. have spent the last five years of my life pretty much learning nothing about nutrition. <laughs> um, yeah. but if it is something that's, you know, above our heads or something we haven't seen before, Purina of course does have, um, board certified nutritionists on staff that are just a phone call away for me and I can, um, I can get a consultation with them.
0: Excellent. So you provide nutritional support, you'll go into clinics. And then on top of that, you, you're a connector, you're a connector in, in the field for veterinarians that may need even additional help. Yeah. Um, This is a job of which both you and I know many people uh, want to know more about, whether it's getting into the pharmaceutical world, the nutrition world, different jobs that aren't the day-to-day associate veterinarian roles.
3: Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: And there's a couple aspects I'd love to ask your your perspective on uh, when it relates to, um, one, you started off as a nutritional in a territory rep role, correct?
3: Absolutely. yep. Yeah. I was, you know, what's commonly referred to as the sales rep going yes. clinic to clinic every day, um, talking to whoever would listen. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's pretty impressive because you had a veterinary degree.
3: I did. Yeah, I do. Yes. You yeah, you do.
0: And, <laughs> and, um, I, I bring this up in full context as I've been in a similar role in the pharma side where there are people, there are individuals within the clinic that can look down on you for that role. Why are you taking a territory role with a veterinary degree?
3: Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, I can be honest, I can honestly Mm -hmm. say it's a stepping stone. I mean, you know, there are a lot more territory manager roles available than there are technical services veterinarian roles, um, you know. And so for me, it was an entry point into the industry, I was also fortunate enough that one of Mike and I's classmates is also a territory manager with Purina. She's been doing. Um, she started actually with Purina a year before me. Loved it. Speaks highly of it. And so, um, you know, I I saw how much she enjoyed her role and how much she loved what she was doing. And and so I never really I never felt like oh this is below me or I shouldn't be doing this. To me, it was awesome. If I can do what she's doing and it opens doors to all these other opportunities, then then life is golden.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And is that something that when you were in school, you ever thought you'd be down this path that you're now down?
3: I really don't think so. I remember technical services veterinarians coming to speak to us um, when we were in school. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I wonder h- how they got into what they're doing. And I remember thinking, you know, wow, they must be so smart in their different fields to, to get a job working for a drug company or a nutrition company. Um, but I, I don't I myself, I never pictured myself in that role. You know, I think, like, like many people who are going through vet school, I pictured myself going out into practice, maybe owning a practice one day. Um, I hadn't really thought outside the box too much.
0: Okay. And what made you then jump to saying, hey, Laura, I made, sorry, I put Laura on the spot. She's the territory (laughs) rep that is with Purina (laughs) still. Hey, Laura, I'm interested in this role. What is it about? How did you communicate that? And or had you set yourself up with others in the nutrition or the pharma industry to understand that role better so that you made that eventual choice that, hey, I want to step out of practice?
3: Yeah, um, interestingly enough, I I actually had not. So, speaking of paths crossing, Laura and I actually crossed paths in Australia as well. She was out there for a while, and so we had kept in touch when, when she moved back to Canada. Um, and she knew that I was at a little bit of a transition point, thinking maybe I wanted to try something different. I just wasn't 100% sure what that something different would be. Um, at At the time actually I I don't know if we'll touch on it today I spent a year also in Finland (laughs) and during that year um, spent you know hundreds of hours volunteering with a veterinary dental specialist um, and learning tons about dentistry and so I was I was also at a crossroads of like hmm could I pursue a dental specialty I'm not sure So it it was more an opportunity that came available. Laura reached out to me and said, hey, we're looking for a new territory manager for Northern Alberta. If you're interested, you should apply. And I decided to to take that leap and give it a go.
0: And now you've been there almost five years.
3: I'm coming up on my five-year anniversary, yeah.
0: And into a different role, which again, different opportunities, different challenges, different... Yeah, like I said, opportunities.
3: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things I love the most about industry now that I'm in it. I didn't realize it at the time, but there's so many directions to go Especially with a veterinary medicine background, you know, there's, there's the traditional territory manager role. There's the technical services veterinarian, but then there's roles that if you're interested in things like marketing or business or, um, you know, e-commerce, you know, there's so many different directions you can go. Um, you know, if I was willing to relocate to somewhere like our, our head offices in St. Louis, I could get closely involved with research if that was a path I wanted to go down. So, um, yeah the the sky's really the limit with the opportunities
0: so for those that may be in practice right now and are interested and even in our pre-talk you discussed on how often that comes up in conversation what's your recommendation for next steps that they should take because there's a lot of people that talk about it yeah and very few that do it
3: yeah absolutely so my number one recommendation is is to network and um when i say network start by getting to know the reps that are coming into your clinics, you know, they may not be veterinarians, but they have a lot of information that they can share with you about, you know, the products that they're representing, they can help you not only understand the products, but help you to, um, you know, translate that information into words and phrases that the pet owners can understand. And um, once you sort of express that interest and make that interest clear and and take the time to get to know these reps that are coming into your clinic. It's a great opportunity for you to also say, "Hey, I'm interested in potentially pursuing a career in the, in the veterinary industry. Um, can you can you tell me if you know of anybody who's hiring or, or do you have any suggestions for me?" Because Um, In the grand scheme of things the reps that are out in the field and that includes you know the sales reps that includes Mm. the vets like me um, It's a relatively small community (laughs) We all know each other, you know for the most part We know who's getting pregnant and who's going to need a mat leave cover We know who's transitioning to a different role within the company and they're going to be hiring to replace that position and um, you know those reps me included can often, you know, kind of give you those heads up so that you can be prepared when that job posting hits, you know, whatever website it's going to hit, you can apply and, and you can be prepared to, to interview for that, that position.
0: Excellent. So being proactive and again, just as you've done, it sounds like your whole career take <laughs> part in the directions you want it to go in.
3: Exactly. Yeah,
0: and just to be completely sarcastic, which I'm going to be, is you're telling me that reps from Purina speak with reps from Royal Canin and other.
3: <laughs> we <laughs> do. Know. No we way.
0: Do. <laughs> There's this adage out there sometimes that nobody speaks to each other.
3: And- I know. I've I've heard stories um, from of of sort of two reps from conflicting companies being sort of accidentally in a clinic at the same time once and they it was hilarious this story they told of all the staff you could tell just went silent like oh my goodness he, she they're not supposed to know that we also talked to her and the the two reps knew each other quite well and they um s- sort of they they just totally played it up and they had big scowls and angry faces and they went to walk past each other in the hallway and then they like broke into a big hug and a smile and a high five and yeah, we um we're a friendly bunch.
2: <laughs> That's so funny. That's such a good prank. Love it. Yeah.
1: Love it.
0: Anything else as an advice or learnings in your last five years within the nutritional industry um that you would love to share? You know, you're in it, your experience, you're growing within that that um that group. And and it takes a while to get to know industry. Uh, anything else that you'd like to share from that perspective?
3: Yeah, I think just sort of building on, on what I, I feel like maybe I've already said and um, just, you know, take advantage in a good way um, of the reps that are coming into your clinic. You know, I think um, going back to what you initially said about some clinics, maybe sort of looking down on sales reps, um, I think being when I was in that role, and I and being a veterinarian, I sometimes actually it was the opposite. And I kind of got my foot in the door with veterinarians, with um, medical directors and things because they knew I was a vet. And I could I could talk that science. But that being said, just because the person coming in your door doesn't have a veterinary degree, doesn't mean they don't have any information they can offer you. Like I already mentioned, they can give you excellent information about the products they're representing and how those products work they can help you navigate how to talk about those products with the clients you're recommending them for Um, and depending on their own backgrounds they can often help you out in other areas of the practice that that you didn't even know you know one of our territory managers she was a practice manager for a large clinic for i think about 10 years before she joined us and I love my road days with her because I learn so much from the practice management side of things um you know when she's talking talking to the to the different clinics and um you know everybody's got that different skill set if you're just willing to take that little bit of extra time to hear what they have to say and see what they have to offer
0: Excellent I love it and 100% agree with you <laughs> Great Mike anything else before we move to the impact round where we challenge Helen and <laughs> is that I, I mean the
2: thing that jumps out at me is
0: uh the,
2: the courage i guess like you've practiced on three continents that that is so cool um to just <laughs> take charge and put yourself out there and go after it i think that's
0: impressive
3: thank you thank, thanks that that means a lot
0: <laughs> and now balancing full-time being a mom wife traveling everything else that goes with it yeah busy lives okay well with that we're going to move into the impact round okay And our impact round is a series of short questions of which you can answer quickly or go on tangents as you will okay and our first question today is are you a cat or dog person
3: this one's a bit too easy for me i am a cat person yeah i have i have two cats at home i love dogs you know canine medicine and nutrition are very interesting to me but i'd rather snuggle up with a cat
0: the cats are completely winning right now. I love this. <laughs> True or false? I knew I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was a kid.
3: Hmm. <laughs> so my dream to be a vet started around grade nine. And as much as when I was in grade nine, I thought I was an adult that knew everything. Um, looking back, I was definitely still a kid. So I'm, I'm going to say, um, yes, I guess I knew since I wanted to be a kid. <laughs>
0: nice. How would your friends describe what you do for a living?
3: I think that all depends on whether they have pets or not. <laughs> my um, my friends who have dogs and cats, the majority of them I think would say that I'm a veterinarian who does something to do with nutrition um, because I think most of them I've, I've given some nutrition advice to <laughs> over the years. Uh, most, other, most other friends though would say, oh, she's a vet and then that's about it. That's
0: it what is your favorite hobby?
3: Favorite hobby. Oh, that's tough. Um, you know, so I love scuba diving, hence the, the picture behind me. But um, these days, especially with the, the sort of no travel happening, that, that hasn't really been happening so much. Um, but you know what I've always loved through my life is arts and crafts. <laughs> As cheesy as that sounds. And now that my husband, or my husband, my son is three and a half and um, is learning to cut and glue and stick things on, it's like, you know, the the dining glory. table becomes my craft table slash his craft table. And yeah, I'm in my, my glory, that's for sure.
0: Awesome. <laughs> what in the world are you most grateful for?
3: Most grateful for? Um, I think I'll... I'll probably come off a bit cheesy here. I would say, you know, in this day, in this time, I'm, I'm most thankful for my husband. He's been, um, you know, very supportive of me in pursuing these, not so much career goals, but career changes and career challenges. And, um, and you know, he's been a very, uh, he's stepped up as a dad when working in industry. I sometimes do have to travel a fair bit. Um, but, but, not just him of course you know my family and friends have always been a great support network for me i probably never would have made it into vet school or made it through vet school if i didn't have you know my family to call when i was homesick or (laughs) or stressed out about an exam and things so yeah um close family and friends and and that includes my husband
0: excellent well we are grateful for having you on today I think from a podcast listener standpoint, um, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be very interested to learn about your story and you stepping outside of your comfort zone and really taking hold of your life, not only your career, but your life. That's very impressive. And both from, you know, Mike and I, yeah, we learned lots today. Amazing new quotes to stew on. (laughs) And yes, we we really appreciate your time today, Helen.
3: Thank you. I really enjoyed being here. The time flew by.
0: Sure does. (laughs) So right before we take off, if people want to get a hold of Helen and talk with you further, what is the best platform to do? So how do they get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, um, probably LinkedIn. Um, I'm not much for social media and I'm terrible at checking my personal email. (laughs) So LinkedIn, I'm pretty reliable with responding on LinkedIn.
0: Okay, excellent. So for everyone that wants to reach out to Helen, please find her on LinkedIn. And with that, we come to the end of our podcast today. And as always, the last message um, we want to leave with yourself. And what message do you want to leave for the veterinary community?
3: Yeah, I I would just encourage everyone to take some time to make yourself aware of what resources you have available around you. Um, You know, don't rely on everything else to be to be brought to your attention. If it's, you know, if you're wanting to learn more about something, you know, take some time to learn what specialists are in your area, reach out to them, see if they'd be willing to, you know, spend some time with you, or at least spend a, spend an hour on the phone with you answering your questions. And, and I think another hidden area that a lot of veterinarians forget about is, um, you know, the provincial and state and federal sort of licensing agencies and medical associations, they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes and have a lot of resources available. To help us, um, you know, everything from legal resources to mental wellness resources. So don't forget about them. Um, And of course, like I've already harped on, don't forget about your reps. They can be a great tool in your toolkit as well.
1: Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to theveterinaryprojectpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the veterinary project podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show. And we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the veterinary project podcast. Bye for now.